Welcome back to Doing Our Bit, the podcast about making games in the era of climate action. In the last episode, we spoke with Jackson Ryan, the journalist who's been investigating the environmental impact of gaming equipment, and specifically the new consoles, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X that launched last month. And our conversation about the console cycle and its impacts was so sprawling that we, could, we couldn't fit it all into one episode. Uh, so we decided that we're going to have to come back to Jackson now that his article has been published on CNET uh, and look more closely at the results of his research on the electricity use of the new consoles, but also more broadly on the impact of the games industry, because there is simply no better time than right now at the start of a new generation of gaming, a generation that will coincide almost one-to-one -one with the decade of climate action. So now is the time to sit down and ask ourselves collectively, where do we want to go from here? What future do we see for the gaming industry in a climate-changed world? Fortunately for all of us, I think, I've managed to sit this one out. So instead of listening to me, you're going to hear a follow-up conversation between Jackson Ryan and none other than Dr. Ben Abraham. So Ben is an absolute visionary and he's been a leading voice for a sustainable games industry for more than half a decade now. Until recently, he was an associate lecturer at the University of Technology in Sydney, a position he recently left and is now pursuing new and interesting projects, some of which we're going to hear about in a moment. I first met Ben a year ago when we were both in our separate ways writing about what a sustainable gaming industry might look like a decade or two from now. He's been an integral part uh, in the early work of the IGDA Climate SIG, where he's focused a lot on these sort of problems and the work stream that we call industry benchmarking. So tracking the footprint of game developers and game consoles and game hardware and the industry at large and figuring out how we can change that for the better. So before we go to the conversation with Jackson, I just want to have a quick chat with Ben. So this is Dr. Ben Abraham. Hello. Hello. Hey, there you are. There we go. Hey, how you doing? Not too bad. Yourself? What time is it there? <laughs> it's uh, oh, it's almost eleven. Oh, nice, excellent. This is the first time you and I actually talk to each other. In, yeah, like uh. direct. Yeah, it is. I was just thinking about That's that before weird. too. Yeah, it's funny we're, because we're I I feel like like I know you better than someone who I've not actually talked to like in person. If that makes sense. Yeah, but we've we've been on, in a lot of chat rooms together. Mm. I tried to get on the uh, the community call for the the climate sig uh, uh, in mm. the beginning of the month. So there are there are two community calls in the sig every month. Mm, the uh, A team and the B team, well, right? I think. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, because because we're a global organization and uh, they're they're sort of suited to different time zones. And last time I figured maybe I should check out what's happening in the other time zone. I've never there found to be people on that call that I've never spoken to, like Ben. How early did that mean uh, getting up for you, or was it late? That meant. That meant me getting up at four. Oof. Yeah, it's stupid. I, I, I will never do it again. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, the, the stars sort of, sort of lined up and all the, all the uh, preschool schedules and everything lined up. So I could actually do it. And I, I felt like, okay, let's, let's, let's see what Ben is like. And then you weren't there. Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I've been really busy the last couple of times with oh. like wrapping up, leaving my previous employment now. And you're kind of a free agent now. I guess. Yeah, for the next little while, yeah. I uh, I don't have anyone who I owe my time to. So yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's a good feeling. I, don't th I guess I thought I would be bored. I guess I'm only two weeks in, but I'm I have oh, okay. I have enough projects for months and months to keep me going. So yeah, not the least of which is the book, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I I want to talk about your book, but I also want to dedicate at least a whole <laughs> podcast episode to that. So maybe maybe we should just give a quick introduction to uh, to the book that you're writing. You're writing a book. Mm. Yeah, so the book is called Digital Games After Climate Change. And without going into the full detail of like every chapter, the, the kind of very broad ambit goal of it is to 
talk about and kind of broadly outline the environmental impact the games are already having on the climate and to kind of outline what might be necessary to change, like particularly, you know, looking at a few particular areas where I guess game developers, I think, have the most chance of having an impact. I'm just looking forward to that book so much because I, the early chapters that I've been reading have been just excellent. And we're definitely going to come back to all of those topics on, on the podcast. Um, today, I think it's time that we jump right into the conversation that you had with uh, Jackson Ryan. So let's do that. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Doing Our Bit, a podcast about games and climate change and what we can do in the games industry to make positive change. Uh, my name is Ben Abraham. I'm a researcher, and I'm talking here today with Jackson Ryan, a good friend of mine, Dr. Jackson Ryan, I should say. Uh, he has a PhD <laughs> in, what was your PhD in again? Uh, well, it's actually in molecular and biological sciences, Ben, but uh, we've moved on from that. Yeah. So a scientist at heart, uh, <laughs> but at the moment, a, uh, a journalist and researcher into games and their kind of environmental impact as well. So we've been having a bunch of conversations over the past year or two about this sort of general topic. Um, uh, and Jackson just recently wrote a piece about the latest generation of consoles uh, the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, um, which had dug into some of the power consumption involved in the new kind of consoles. So for those who might not have heard before, do you want to just give us a really quick little summary of that story and, and what your findings were? And then we'll talk about, yeah, what, what that means. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me, Ben and Hugo. I love being on this podcast. This is kind of like a, my major area of interest in video games at the moment. And, uh, yeah, it's always a thrill to talk about climate change. So uh, the piece I published on CNET was called PS5, Xbox Series, and the Climate Crisis Facing Next-Gen Video Games. Um, you can Google that or just go to CNET.com. I think we'll put it in uh, the show notes as well. Put it in the show notes. And uh, basically, it's I, I looked at uh, each next-gen console and the previous generation of consoles just with a simple power meter uh, attached to my wall socket and attached to the console. I took some numbers down, and over the course of uh, a couple of months, I basically tried to estimate the carbon footprint of playing video games on these consoles as well as streaming or just leaving them idle. It's not the most perfect scientific analysis, but it is kind of, um, it, it gives a good overview of what the next generation of video games will look like in terms of pure power consumption. Mm. Starting at the kind of the worst end, if you look at uh, AAA games um, where you know, these are sort of the big budget titles. They spend a lot of uh, development time. You're talking about development, a lot of development time um, going into actually producing these games. These are also the worst games in terms of energy consumption. So the PS5 has, for instance, um, Spider-Man Miles Morales. That uses about 0.2 kilowatt hours of energy per hour. So it's kind of like a, for CO2 emissions per hour, it's about 0.14 kilograms of co2 um equivalent equivalents yeah. um so that's a helpful benchmark that, then yeah that yeah it is a helpful benchmark i guess another thing that's a, that's hard to communicate here is is what is 200 watts what does that look exactly. like most people don't i think have a very good sense of how much power certain things use you know if you just went up to someone on the street and asked them like okay how much power is your fridge using at home right now i think the vast majority of people would be like i have no idea i just pay my power bill at the end of the day and I understand that roughly if I use the air conditioning more in summer, then the bill goes up. If I use the heating more in winter, <laughs> yeah. the bill goes up. No, it's exa that's exactly right. So one of the things I talk about a little bit is that in the sciences and in communicating science, there's kind of like this idea of number bullshittery, where mm. if you just say a number, people will be like, oh, okay, that seems bad or that is irrelevant to me. And in some ways, power and energy, are, they look like irrelevant numbers. So trying to frame that in the context of like a lot of people playing around the world, mm. um, of course, with all these caveats built in, is, you know, how many cars are we sort of driving for a year Yeah. Um, if we're playing Miles Morales for 15 hours and there's 100,000 people doing that? So 
that kind of gives you a slightly clearer feel for how much energy is being used and how much carbon is being emitted. The example I just gave, mm. the carbon emitted there is about 230 tonnes, um, which is the same as 45 cars driven for a year. So 100,000 people playing Miles Morales for 15 hours is this equivalent to people driving 45 cars for a year. It, it just struck me that there is something of a disconnect clearly between the you know the attractive beautiful video game graphics of Assassin's Creed Valhalla that's what I've been playing a fair bit recently you know it's it's gorgeous and I sit on top of a hill and I get the panoramic camera happening on on that and I'm like man this is like this is really pretty um and it's a really nice enjoyable experience especially on the PS5 I have a big 4K TV and it's like yeah it's it's kind of glorious and what often I think it's hidden by just the, the the fact that we are disconnected, we are often so disconnected from our power, whether like it's it's generation basically, and where where that generation comes from, to use the the kind of um, uh, I don't know this somewhat Marxist terminology, we're kind of alienated from the production of power mostly. Totally, um, well, yeah. And so that kind of like okay, there are carbon emissions associated with that. Me sitting on that hill, looking out over you know medieval England with this beautiful sunset that I don't see because it happens hundreds of miles away. And one of the things that I've found really positive about the experience of having home solar panels, which I got installed um, last year after we, we bought our house, is that I actually have a much closer connection to that power. And uh, mm. I have a monitoring system that tells me how much power I'm using. I can tell you right now exactly how much power we're using because it connects to my app. And... Um, it's a, a pretty overcast day here in Sydney. It's um, been rainy and drizzly all day, but we're still making 1.7 kilowatts of power off the roof. And uh, we're currently using 700 watts. Nope, just jumped up to 900 watts briefly. It's back to seven. <laughs> so like and it fluctuates, but like I can kind of more directly see that. Yeah, um, it's interesting to think about that connection we have with our energy use. And like, for instance... I just moved house and I, I got a new fridge and that fridge on the door, it has an energy rating, the star ratings um, sticker. Mm. So it tells me on the, on the door that each year I'll use about 330 kilowatt hours of energy. That is uh, well beyond, you know, sort of what I'll be able to achieve in my gaming life because mm. of how much I use my consoles and, and, you know, I can do that quick calculation in my head, but only because... I've been spending time doing that over the last couple of months. Mm. Six months ago, I would have had no concept really about how much power my my consoles are drawing. And I don't have the new consoles. Um, you know, I just tested them for the sake of that article. But my older consoles on like my PS4, I kind of know now if I spend, you know, five hours doing this, well, I'm going to generate this much, you know, kilowatt hours of, of energy. I'm going to use this much up. Mm. And I think that connecting consoles to that usage is important but it also for consumers it's probably not going to matter too much until you can tell them how it actually affects kind of you know how, how much they pay for energy each mm. year and for you for instance you're just talking about your solar panels you've got a good here really your console is not really harming the planet you know you know there's certainly again, not during the day caveats. yeah we, yeah, we almost always the day. have right. enough power for for um gaming during the day yeah once the sun goes so down at, though it's a different story but i buy I buy um, carbon neutral power. I buy from PowerShop, which does all offsetting of the um, generation that they make, which makes it a little bit more expensive. But I can kind of afford to do that. So there you go. And that and that is, I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit about the response to the my, my article as well, because it in publishing something like this, I ex- always expect blowback. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's got climate crisis in the headline or somewhere in the first few paragraphs that's kind of a stopping point for some people to just get in the comments and abuse me basically. Mm. And the interesting thing about that is that you can kind of tell that they're not concerned about how much energy they're using in general. They're not going to look into the data and be like, Oh, actually I could save money here. Mm. Um, or, or, you know, what is, what is my carbon footprint actually mean? It's straight away kind of like, you know, you're a soy boy and you're trying to take our video games away and stuff. Like that. It's, it's none of that. I did get a lot of good feedback too. And one e- email I got through from a reader, his name was James. He sent an email through from Canada and where he lives in Ontario 
he was telling me that his electricity comes mostly from hydro and from nuclear, mm. which are obviously much more low emission producers compared to uh, coal and gas. And he said, if I was in Alberta, Canada, 80 to 90% of my electricity would have come from coal and gas. So it's very different for me mm. reading this article here than someone reading it in, in Alberta we're going to both be sort of generating different um, amounts of uh, greenhouse gas from playing games. Mm. And that's totally, totally fair. And I really, I think that's one of the major caveats of the, of the CNET piece is that, you know, I didn't dive into the ways that the console itself never decides where to draw energy from Mm. and it doesn't decide to produce more carbon, but it's just something that we have to think about when we Mm. uh, are producing sort of the next consoles, because unless there is, stringent and rather rapid changes from an infrastructure point of view in many Mm. of these places including australia then the next consoles will be more powerful and they will use more energy and they will generate more carbon and we can't do that anymore this is the decade where we cannot do that Mm. it's interesting to me as well like one of i like 100 percent. i'm absolutely with you 100 percent on the need to um reduce and minimize emissions as much as possible. The other flip side to that, though, as well, is that yes, give me the flip side. Um, like energy production actually could be completely carbon neutral. We know technically, like even economically, it is like 100% carbon neutral energy systems, like energy grids, national energy grids, are possible, right? Like there are technical papers you can go and read. There's a really, really good piece I think from 2018 by a few authors in response to actually a paper produced by the nuclear by some members of like a nuclear lobby basically saying oh we need to we need more nuclear renewables and they'll never they'll never meet all of our energy needs and these couple of um, researchers these experts in kind of energy transition and, and things like that pulled together all of these surveys of and, and examples from all around the world. Like there are already places that have 100% renewable energy grids. There are islands mm. that only run off of solar and batteries. And yep. so like the technology is there. We could do it. The transition is already kind of happening. And eventually I think like, and, and hopefully I, I, I really hope that the transition speeds up more, but I think like even 20 years in the future, hopefully, this whole thing about energy use could kind of become a moot point because it's all being made uh, renewably anyway. Yeah, that's a, a fantastic point. And I think the the idea behind that is sound. I, I also think there is now, you know, um, and you can see it in our Discord, the, the Game Desk for Future Discord, and you can see it sort of even in the comments I get from on articles. Like there's a groundswell of um, attention now uh, being mm. placed on these kind of uh, issues and a lot of people are like, you know, they do say something to that effect, even on the abusive side of things with like, why does this even matter? Like, mm. it's not the game company's fault. It's not the manufacturer's fault. We should be using renewable energy anyway. And like, I get that, of course, mm. the, the kind of looking at the energy use is also to just say, hey, you know, these companies are trying to be better. Microsoft, Sony are both in playing for the planet. They have, you know, these um, very clear goals. Mm. Microsoft particularly want to, you know, pull basically pull carbon out of the atmosphere. I mean, not not yeah. so much, but they want to reverse yeah. their carbon footprint from the, the life of their organization. And if you look at that goal, but then look at how their consoles are manufactured or what they're doing, did they do the best job they could? at optimizing the energy efficiency of these consoles. And it doesn't seem like that is the case, at least when it comes to playing video games and playing big budget video games. Mm. So, so it's, what, just, it's just about what, the disconnect. So what is it that gives you that impression that the efficiency hasn't, work hasn't been done? What, like what is it? Is it just, the, just from the raw numbers? Yeah, just from the raw numbers um, in terms of how next-gen AAA big budget titles are drawing power. But then if you, like, say you go to the uh, indie games and you look, at, like I looked at Dead Cells on the Switch, that's only drawing 0.007 kilowatt hours of energy mm. compared to, say, the PS5, which is drawing, again, 10 times that amount, or the Series X, which is the same, drawing 10 times that amount. Mm. So where does that extra 10 times come from? Is it things working in the background of those consoles? Is it necessary to have those things on? If the Switch can render it, you know, almost as clearly as these consoles can, at least in this very uh, 
you know, finite example. This is only one example, but it, it works here. Um, then at least that says to me that there are ways to make um, these consoles more efficient mm. and to just be like, all right, we, well, we only need to use, you know, if the switch is using 10 watts, we only need to use 25 watts when Dead Cells is on so we can keep the other things working in the background so you can quick resume, et cetera, et cetera. We should have those targets. And there are regulatory, um, self-regulatory initiatives around energy efficiency. I'm not sure if you're aware of them, but essentially the companies have committed to keeping the wattage down for certain aspects of gaming, and they, mm. they have done that. Yeah, they have, they have been able to keep it under these sort of arbitrary limits they've set. But... Nintendo again is like doing it ten times better, mm. and they're not even. I don't. I don't believe they're even in that self-regulatory initiative. So it's kind of like how how is there such a massive difference? So yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I'm not a kind of technical expert on console design or anything of that nature, but I suspect a, a lot of it comes down to just the sheer number of things like transistors. Um, so the newer consoles fit more transistors in for you know more rapid switching of, you know, low voltage um, calculations, CPU and GPU things, you know, all that stuff happening at trillions of times a second. And it, it does mm-hmm. kind of add up to, to power draw. So I'm not super, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little more, I, I, I looked at the power of my PS5 uh, yes, when I yes. when I got it and I looked at it kind of while playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and actually like I, I was kind of a little bit impressed um okay i because I, I knew that my ps4 pro which you know is now um when did i get that 2016 17 when did it come out i think 17 yeah something around that um it uses probably about 200 watts as well uh, and yes it's doing like 4k rendering and stuff but it was never going to be able to do 60 frames a second at 4k in say destiny 2 whereas the ps5 kind of can um yes. And that is a, like a substantial difference, right? Like you need a, I don't know. An yeah, we need a technical that. person to come in and tell us how these are uh, the the consoles actually yeah. do these calculations and how they use the uh, the energy. So let's talk a little bit then about um, the other end of the emissions involved in this. So can we talk a little bit about the embedded emissions inside a device itself in that manufacturing process? Sure. I don't think your article uh, did you did you touch on that at all in the article? I can't remember. So no, I, I didn't. I um I, I did touch on the idea that that is a huge part. And product use is the main source of carbon emissions based on the company's own profiling. Mm. But um, manufacturing and um, supply chain is just there right behind it. And yeah. those issues I haven't factored in at all. Yeah. And um I mentioned this on the last podcast um with Hugo, you know. Still the gold standard for this article in, in games journalism is Lewis Gordon's piece on um, the environmental impact of the PlayStation 4, which, you know, he pulled apart a PlayStation in a, in a lab, I believe it was in Cambridge, mm. looked at each individual part and then in a way traced back to where that part came from. And, you know, a lot of these things use rare earth uh, minerals. Mm. And the funny thing about that was that the most intense part of it is that central chip, that CPU, the GPU combined um and now i did a little test because i kind of knew or guessed from other work that's been done by researchers that you know the cpu gpu is the most kind of emissions intense part of the device Mm -hmm. Uh, and i wanted to know like what's kind of in it and why is it the most uh, emissions intense so i have a list of the vast majority of the uh, atomic elements that are inside a, a ps4 pro no, it was just the original PS4, actually, I tested. Uh, CPU, GPU. So the elements that the test turned up were magnesium, aluminium, titanium, chromium, nickel, copper, zinc, gallium, palladium, silver, cadmium, indium, tin, barium, gold, lead, bismuth. And those are just the ones that, that turned up in substantial quantities. Right? There were yeah. other ones that there were like trace elements of it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... To give you a bit of a sense of like the emissions intensity of some of these materials, even even like common ones like titanium, the mining of titanium has a really high emissions factor. It's like um, basically you need 350 megajoules of energy to to even produce one kilogram of titanium. 
Now, there's not mm. a kilogram of titanium in the PS4 CPU, so that, that number is kind of reduced. <laughs> but yeah. you can see that the scale is, like, pretty, pretty enormous. Yeah, I mean, is, there's not one kilogram in one PS4, but how many PS4s are sold? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's the, those are the kind of numbers you can start to uh, pull, up, pull apart and then go, okay, the environmental impact overall of this device is quite high. Again, this is just about putting a number and making someone aware of, you know, this does have an environmental impact. Mm. We don't want to take it away. We just want to make it better. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk then about, like, what are some of our solutions? What are some of the pathways to change here? What's fundamentally the first thing that needs to change in your mind? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a huge question, to, to be frank. But when you're, if we're talking just purely about um, power and energy use, like, there are very, um, I wouldn't say simple, but there are clearly ways to build in efficiencies around the way energy is used during gameplay. Mm. And I think... If, you know, some of the best minds on this, Evan Mills from the, he did the Greener Gaming Study in Mm. in 2018, 2019. The Berkeley Um, Lab or something. The Berkeley Lab, yeah, that's right. And, um, well, one, that is very good to look at. That's what we should look at. Um, But we kind of just have to scrutinise every single component that goes into making a console. You know, the like you are saying, the GPUs and CPUs, they're quite carbon intense to produce. You know, the power supplies, the motherboard you know the what peripherals we're making i have no doubt that we can make those um, components better without degrading any of their performance at all um how does that happen well i don't don't manufacture stuff so i'm not you know i'm Mm. not the best best at that actually at the answer there the solution there um but yeah i think you know if we can if we can scrutinize those things and, and you know realistically say to each other this isn't the best how can how can we make this better for the Xbox Seven and the PS Seven? Mm. Um, and then on top of that, um, there's also you know the data centers or the um, the background the downloads and stuff like that. Which and, and cloud gaming, which will all be very energy intense, sort of as we move forward as well. We have to make sure that we build in efficiencies to those data centers as they start being built. You know, mm. we've already got some now, but because Cloud gaming is expected to, you know, at least take a small chunk of the gaming community or, or the gaming pie, as it were. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if I buy into that. Got... I don't know if that'll actually ever happen. But yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, I, I think that's it's, a, a, it's a fair open criticism. question still. Yeah, and then of course, you know, the games are the last thing. You could make games more energy efficient mm. on the development side, and you you might be able to speak to this, Ben. In you know, how they handle that processing and how their workloads are, are balanced throughout playing a game for an hour or three hours or whatever. Mm. And, uh, yeah, just make that process more, I guess, elegant in, uh, in, in its uh, powering. Yeah, so one of the things that I'm writing about in the book is the, the need to, to, to really shift to a, a games industry expectation of doing more with less. Like, I think that's just crucial, right, at this point. I don't think that we should be able to expect, you know, more and more pipelines for rendering, you know, triangles in a scene or for, you know, doing ray tracing or whatever. I think actually we should be focusing at the other end and figuring out how to do more with less. And the the kind of inspiration I take here is from things like the demo scene, which is a, a, a really like old kind of tradition of, of kind of computer science-y out there, wild experimentation really. Yeah. Where, you know, the, the, the goal actually is to figure out how to do something in as small of a, uh, of a, like a computational footprint as possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you shrink like a whole music video down into like 12 kilobytes or something. If we actually prioritized it and, and obviously it would need a, a, a really quite, a seismic shift in the way that the games industry is organized, the way that it's funded, the way that it's run and the expectations of players themselves. But I think we could imagine a games industry that doesn't need a new console, doesn't need an upgrade cycle, at least not one as regularly as, as we're kind of currently expecting. And what you just do is instead you go, all right, well, let, let's figure out a, a more efficient way of rendering this scene. I remember, um, 
a couple of years ago, there was a GDC talk about uh, checkerboard rendering in the Rainbow Six engine and how they, they talked about how they use this system basically to kind of the checkerboard system where you sort of actually only render half the image each frame. And so you end up with a good enough looking kind of a picture. No one even notices the difference. Um, yeah, okay. But you're actually halving your kind of computational intensity in you know per frame because you you you're only drawing half of it each time uh and then you alternate the other half and it's not like left half and right half it's like a checkerboard you render the white squares and then you render the the black squares and then yeah and if you're doing that 60 times a second no one's going to notice right yes so there's all sorts of things kind of like that i think that obviously we need more technical people than us i would love to hear from anyone on the engineering side of things who is kind of experimenting with this sort of stuff. Um, I think that's a really interesting area. And if there isn't anyone out there, maybe they should be, maybe that's a job for, for you, dear listener. Uh, think about like Uh, what, what you can do. Yeah, that you're right. We definitely, um, well, you and I don't have the technical expertise for this, but the, the idea that there are, um, there, there are efficiencies in that kind of, um, development phase and, and, clearly there are, um, that will make a huge difference to kind of how much uh, energy is being used in the next generation if they're implemented, you know, not necessarily through a regulatory body, but just that that information is out there because until you told me that, I didn't know that, you know, like I didn't have any idea about how that development process could be influenced by sort of tricks, um, mm. technical tricks that you can use to, you know, not, not have to use the same energy, but the player can't tell. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with this kind of elegant energy efficiency solutions. There are uh, people much smarter than me, I dare say smarter than you, Ben, but I'm not sure, um, that uh, that will be able to use their uh, engineering and technical expertise to uh, build those things into to games as we go forward. And you, what you hit on at the start is even more interesting to me, and that is the concept that perhaps um, the idea of generations needs to change overall. That is a really interesting concept that I think it would help us kind of uh, focus on this issue a, a little mm. bit more without even really thinking about it, without even really being like, okay, we're, we're deeply thinking about mm. energy here. We're just like, we've actually, we're doing more with less. And, and it was, wasn't about, uh, you know, generations. It was just about we wanted to do that. And, and it, it, this is the right time to do it as well because if we're right at the beginning of a new cycle, like when better to start planning these sort of long-term shifts in our kind of pipeline, right? Like development exactly. takes a long time, right? Consoles, even longer. What if we planned for, say, no new consoles for at least 10 years? What would you mm-hmm. as a developer need to do now to make sure that your games or your kind of, you know, games as a service, whatever the, the thing you're developing or working on, will continue to work on this console, the, you know, the PS5, the Xbox Series X, well into the next decade. And if we think about that now, I think that sets us up for a much better, I don't know, much better run at it than if we kind of get to the end of the console life cycle and then all of a sudden go, uh-oh, we need to extend this another five years because, mm. you know, we, we just simply don't have the carbon budget to mine all of the palladium that we need for our you know, next-gen CPUs, you know. If, if we get a head start on this, rather than letting the conditions of the climate itself and the emergency dictate the rules to us, I think we're going to have a, just such a much better time of things than if we leave it all to emergencies later. Yeah, and you, you've, you've spoken about it a little bit in, in the book, Ben, about how gi- giving us limitations drives innovation as well. Mm. Um, and drives developers to come up with these kind of clever tricks. I think I can't remember the one you, you mentioned in the book because you've shown me the chapter. What is there's, there's a maybe an older Prince of Persia maybe? Um, yeah, so there's all sorts of examples. Um, for anyone interested, the Ars Technica does a does a series of YouTube interviews with developers where they talk about the kind of incredible feats of engineering they had to do often in in sort of the early period to of, of games to get their games working on different devices, you know, often very, very limited conditions. The Prince of Persia example was, was Jordan Mechner talking about how he just, he simply ran out of memory and he didn't have any more RAM to kind of make the game in. So he turned an existing asset into its kind of reverse and that became the mirror 
antagonist of the game. Mm. That's and that, that sort of like solved a design problem. It solved a you know, limitation problem and actually became a really integral part of the original Prince of Persia. And but that's yeah. so, so cool to me. I think that's the kind of thing where, you know, these consoles in some way, like they're, they're for the consumer, but um, giving them to developers and being like, we've given you as much possible space to play as possible, make the best thing ever that you can make, mm. kind of in some ways maybe leads to this, we're currently in this state of like everything's open world and it's based around hitting this checkpoint and jumping here and doing that. And it's fun. Like there are good, great games. Miles Morales is great. You're playing Valhalla. Um, it's very similar, like another open world sort of type game. All these games have become the sort of same. It's very monotonous. It's very uh, homogenous mess of open worldliness because that is kind of the game that you can make on these consoles when you just have... Mm huge resources people that are interested in climate and video games and kind of the problems we face like please reach out to me on the on the on the discord um and say hello um i'm always interested in hearing stories about people you know combating the the crisis in their own way Mm. um i know that there's a bit of discussion in the discord recently about taking the article to ubisoft and and saying like this you know this piece of um, journalism shows this and you know that started discussion within ubisoft Mm. and i'd really love to hear from people in in big and small development houses who are interested in this problem and and also sort of how they think we can go about fixing it because it's definitely you know that article isn't the end of my (laughs) investigations into games and climate change and i'm sure they're not Mm. that your book isn't the end for you either ben so um, yeah, I th- I'd encourage people to, to reach out and say, hey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's plenty of work to do and I think uh, it's a bit of a steep learning curve. I feel like I've been reading and, and thinking about games and, and energy and environmental impacts for, well, since about 2014 now. So um, there's, a, there's a lot to kind of get your head across, but it's really essential work and I think it's going to need more and more people to... Um, to be involved and uh, to, to kind of make the change happen. That might mean, you know, putting some pressure on your boss, asking them like, hey, what sort of emissions intensity is our workplace? You know, are we using renewables? Are we measuring how much power our players are, are using? Do we, do we even have an idea? Maybe that's the first mm. step is like, you know, getting the data and quantifying things. And, uh, yeah, as Jackson said, please reach out to uh, any of us involved and, um, yeah, get in touch. We'd love to hear from, hear from you and, and what you're doing in your, in your world. Ben is a fantastic resource. He just told you he's been working this, you know, six, seven years, and uh, he knows m- much more uh, about, I guess, energy and emissions than I uh, ever do. So, he's, uh, Ben, thank you for always being a, a great person to chat to about these kind of things. Thanks, Jackson. No, no worries at all. Thanks for uh, making some time to talk to us today. Easy. No problems, mate. Bye. Bye. If let me know if I'm if I'm understanding the the sort of outcome of Jackson's article and your mm. discussion on energy efficiency correctly. Um, so the power draw of AAA games on the new consoles is pretty much comparable to the, the power draw of AAA games on the last consoles. They're just doing a lot more with roughly the same amount of power. Uh, so yeah, the big scandal, I suppose, <laughs> is that we, we aren't really reducing. It's not necessarily that we're increasing power consumption that much, but we're not reducing it in a time where we need, really need to be reducing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing about it too is that there are really high efficiency chips out there, right? Like we have them right. in our smartphones, in every iPad. And in our switches. Exactly, yeah. So it could be a priority, but there are trade-offs that come with it. And obviously the, the games industry's business model still relies on this idea of like cutting edge and, um, and the photorealism, the pixel-pushing photorealistic graphics yeah so so i'm going to try to make a case here i think uh, <laughs> bear, bear with me um so the way i see it the, 
the new consoles are clearly much more efficient than than the last ones. They can do the same operations mm. with less electricity, yeah. uh, but they're doing a lot more operations in, in the case of the AAA games, which means that there's a, a sort of widening gap between high electricity gaming and low electricity gaming. Uh, smaller games and indie games can now get by with less electricity than ever. Mm-hmm. But what I think is interesting now is is how much power or and how much responsibility is falling onto the shoulders of developers when it comes to electricity uh, use on the new consoles because we now have the power to make games that are a lot less energy consuming than the current AAA blockbusters. And the question is, I guess, how how we can find the incentives for developers to to take that responsibility because I, 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 you did touch on something important when you spoke to Jackson, like all, all of this energy or electricity talk is is pretty short term like in a decade or two we're we're more or less expecting to be running these things on renewable energy anyway and it won't matter as much but in the short term i think the reductions in carbon emissions that that we can that we can achieve in in the coming decade or two well they're going to make the planet a bit less hot right Mm, yeah i mean Uh, yeah we're in the critical period now where like every reduction that we make is necessary or that we can make is necessary and makes our job much easier in the future there are challenges too even in in incentivizing efficiency in that you often can create like a situation where you actually just increase demand in other ways mm-hmm. as i think you mentioned to me the jevons paradox where yeah you increase the efficiency of a particular use of a fuel whether that's like electricity or oil or, or whatever and then actually the, the price of that lowers and so then demand goes up in in response uh, yeah because you you mentioned when you spoke to jackson um this sort of checkerboard rendering idea where you mm. where, where you render every second pixel and essentially have the rendering output uh but i mean that's not something that developers have been doing in order to reduce uh energy consumption they've been doing it so they can use that power for something else mm. yeah uh so that, that's sort of in line with this whole jevons paradox thing where where I mean, there are plenty of reasons for us to to optimize our games. Always have been, mm. um, but we are lacking reasons or you know fiscal incentives, I guess, to to optimize below the point where where we hit our target frame rate. We're mm. optimizing for for energy consumption rather than than uh, well frame rate. Mm. I picked up on one more thing that that you talked about with Jackson, uh, which is your experience with with solar panels. Mm. Uh, and how having solar panels in your home has been improving your understanding of, of what a watt means, mm. you know, and how, how much that is. And that struck me as as a potential factor in this too, as, as more people are going to be, you know, getting solar paneled and becoming more li- energy illiterate, uh, energy literate, mm. <laughs> uh, not only because of solar panels either, because I think there's a lot of, there, there's a possibility over the next decade that, there will be a lot of different initiatives to improve the energy mm. literacy of, of people yeah. and making it easier to to gauge how much electricity we're using, for example. Yeah. Well, one thing one thing that is really nice about the and, and it's I should be clear too, it's not exactly just having solar panels. It's specifically being able to monitor the output of the solar panels. And so that quantification yeah, thing. Exactly. Being able to see that. Has been a real educational process, yeah, because you you do, you get a sense of like, oh, I'm producing two kilowatts. What does that mean? Oh, I just turned on my oven. Oh, there's my two kilowatts. That's gone. That's all of that used up in one one device. And you can get a similar effect to that by just buying a power meter, sticking it in the wall, and then plugging your yeah. devices into that and measuring it. Not quite as exciting. You know, we have, I have like an f- app on my phone that lets me <laughs> kind of see um, and when you're not producing as well, I think there's less of an in- incentive to to kind of maximize your your production and minimize your use and things like that. But one thing that game consoles could do, or even just games themselves, is measure and and kind of be more transparent about the metrics around like play duration. Maybe if they wanted to get even more specific than that, they could go to like CPU utilization measures, things like that, and then you can roughly get a sense of like, okay. You've been playing the PS5 for six hours today. That means, you know, it's probably been mostly at this this level of power uh, and it right. can tell you how much you've used. And players actually do kind of have an incentive to kind of engage with that because at the end of the day, we all pay for power. 
right? Like there, yeah. there is a kind of money thing at the end of the day. And as, as long as there's like a subset of players that are interested in that, I think it's it's information that's worth displaying. I, I started thinking about the the new Microsoft Flight Simulator that, mm. that uses a lot of uh, data bandwidth and does that with with full transparency. There's a there's a menu in the game that that tallies all of the data uh, you've been using, so that you know as a user, as a customer, mm. you know how this is impacting. Your your what, what's it called the data your data program, plan no, data, yeah your band your data uh, plan yeah your cap or whatever yeah I mean not everyone is going to care about that but enough people do that Microsoft have opted to include it as a menu in the game uh, so I, I wonder what what the threshold is how many people need to be sort of literate about how much electricity they're using and care about how that affects well not just the environment but their their power bills mm. before it actually influences developer behavior. Yeah, the other thing about it might be the current, um, I guess, regime of energy engagement that we have is that we can just use as much as we want as long as we can pay for it, right? Um, yeah. And that, that, you know, grids will balance themselves, generators will rise and fall. Demand is pretty much, when you aggregate it, it's pretty predictable, right? Like that. that's yes. how it operates at the moment. That might not always be the case, right? Like there's, That's true. Good. There's a lot. It's I mean, happening. it's not good, but it's good that you brought it up. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, there's a lot already happening to to play with, at least in Australia, where I'm, I'm kind of more familiar with it, with um, demand response kind of program where the grid, for instance, gets a bit unstable because, you know, maybe all the generators are running at peak capacity, but all the solar and wind, they're all like, maybe it's cloudy, it's winter or something, the sun goes down early, but people are heating too much and there's a demand response kind of thing that the Australian energy market is now kind of trialing. And now that's always happened with kind of the, the grid energy producers, but as the control of production shifts towards household solar, at least in Australia, like we have we have huge penetration rates of household solar. There are all these new experiments with regulating and controlling the input from people's rooftop solar and things like that. Um, and so that... Okay that's going to change things right like and that's going to change the environment in which people are going to be buying consoles in the next the next generation right um yeah there might be some need to have a kind of demand response built in to the next next console generation and and how do you do that well i don't know maybe you suddenly scale down the resolution you know when when the power gets more expensive and then you can ramp it up when it's really cheap or something um, yeah, it's all sorts of ways. it seems like resolution is one of the big drivers of electricity use right now. It's, it's the impression I got from Jackson's research. Yeah, I think so. But, it's it's sort of yeah, I don't know. I, it probably it needs a, a more detailed, more like engineering focused person than me. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe Josh Aslan would know. He's the PhD in engineering guy. <laughs> yeah, true. But it, it it does seem like there there are are a lot of things pointing to the potential of a, a more energy literate, I guess, uh, player base over the course of this presumably quite long generation. Mm. Well, the solar panel adoption, the, the possibility of more programs that sort of limit people's electricity use more than, than, than we have been doing um, and so on. I guess it should be something that we're, we should... It's time to start thinking about it and how to how to adapt to it and how we might be able to make games for an audience that cares about using less energy. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, that, that... I think it's overdue. Um, I think I think lots of other fields have have started to think about what climate means for them and how have a at least a bit of a sense of like you know what's what's the next twenty years going to look like. Um, you know, companies, big companies around the world are, are starting to do that. Uh, I feel like games are a little bit behind in that. Maybe not massively mm -hmm. behind, but yeah, that's my impression. I I, <laughs> I promise that next time we're going to talk more about the uh, the embedded emissions. Uh, we've been really focused on the uh, the electricity side of things right now because that's what what Jackson's been researching. Mm. Uh, but uh, there is so much more to unpack when it comes to gaming's environmental footprint, and you're one of the the sort of experts that have dug into that side of things the most so I, I really look forward to talking more to you on on the show yeah me too and thanks for again the opportunity to 
come along and be a part of doing our bit. Yeah, I, like I, I said before, I loved listening to that conversation and it, it's great to have more voices on the podcast as well. So it's not it's not just me talking to people. Mm. It's it's really clear when you you covered a lot of the same topics that Jackson and I did in the in the last episode, but you still got into, you know, parts of it that I would never have because I don't mm. have the kind of expertise that you do. And one thing I think um, is nice too about like doing something, getting people to participate in a project like this is that, um, I, I mean, one of the things that we know we need to do to solve the climate crisis is increase participation, right? Like we need more people right. to, to step up and start doing things. Um, one of the best experiences of the last few years of my, my career has actually been being part of a, a highly democratic union organisation, um, okay. And, and just seeing like how powerful it is when you actually have real democracy, you know, everyone gets a say. Uh, yeah, it can uh-huh. be really challenging and, and quite heated. But when you make decisions collectively and you, you work as a, as a group with a common interest, God, it's, it's freaking powerful. And it, it feels incredible, too. And you can tell that you're making better decisions. Oh, I yeah. Suppose, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cover more perspectives. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's what I hope that this podcast can do as well. But the next step is going to be to uh, to include more voices that aren't, you know, young white men. Mm, mm. Um, I'm, I'm getting kind of concerned now that we're having simply three episodes in a row that that interview white white male doctors, even. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's an academic yeah. bias. Um, as we all know, uh, the games industry can be a male-dominated space. Fortunately, the same is very much not true of uh, the climate space and the sustainability space, environmental space in general, uh, which is an interesting topic in itself that we're probably going to have to dive into. Uh, but for now, I guess I hope you enjoyed this episode of Doing Our Bit. It's been written and produced by me, Hugo Bile, uh, edited by my bro, Joel Bile, and the music is Rat Vader's Dream by uh, Oscar Delius and Niklas Åkerblad. Thank you to my co-host, I guess, Dr. Ben Abraham, and uh, this episode's guest, Jackson Ryan. Dr. Jackson Ryan, that is. We'll be back again two weeks from now, uh, at the beginning of the new year, with an interview with <laughs> another young, white, male doctor. But this time we're going to get to talk more about the cultural influence of gaming and the impact that it can have on education about climate change. So I hope you're looking forward to that and uh, I hope that you have a safe new year. Please take care of each other and we'll be back in 2021. Bye.